It's a historic day, and it's the result of years of fighting and a lot of effort to not only change the law, but create cultural change too. Hello and welcome back to LATAM Dialogues, the podcast series in which the team at LATAM Dialogue will be discussing the latest stories and issues from Latin America. I am Sonia, the editor-in-chief at LATAM Dialogue, and you just heard an extract from France 24's news report following the legalization of same-sex marriage in Chile. The legislation also made it legal for same-sex couples to adopt. Specifically, you have Álvaro Elizade, a Chilean senator from the Socialist Party, giving a speech to the Chamber of Deputies following the vote. So we are back for our second season, which is very exciting. And to kick things off, we will be doing an in-focus episode on LGBTQ plus rights in Latin America, specifically trans rights, following the International Day of Trans Visibility, which took place on the 31st of March earlier this year. In the second part of the podcast episode, we have the pleasure of being joined by Liam Duran Cordona, a Cuban trans right activist and visual artist who will be speaking to us about his award-winning documentary on visibilizing trans masculine identities in Cuba, as well as some of his own experiences as a trans activist in the country. However, before we get into that, I will be speaking to um, Isabel, one of the editors at Latam Dialogue, and Thomas Grant in order to find out a bit more about the context of LGBTQ plus rights across Latin America, and also more specifically Cuba, as that is the country that we will be discussing with Liam in the second half of the episode. Thomas is a Latin American Studies Research Master's student who is currently writing his thesis on transmasculine identities in Cuba. So we, has, uh, we have asked him to share some of his knowledge and research about LGBTQ plus rights and issues with us on the podcast today. So hi, Thomas and Isabel. Thank you so much for being on the episode today. Hello, Sonia. <laughs> Good to be here. Yep. Thank you for having me. So I'll turn to Isabel first. Um, I think it might be nice to start with some positive points. So Isabel, could you tell me... Um, what perhaps positive advancements have been made in the region over recent years? Yeah, sure. So compared to many other regions in the world, it seems like Latin America has made some advancements in the last few years um, when it comes to the recognition of LGBTQ plus rights, um, especially given its deep Catholic and conservative roots. So, for example, um, most countries have decriminalized same-sex sexual relationships, which seems like an extremely obvious right, but as I said before, in the context of some of the most um, religious and conservative countries, uh, this is relatively progressive. Um, So another example is in Bolivia, Cuba, Ecuador, and Mexico, uh, LGBTQ plus individuals are constitutionally protected from discrimination based upon sexual orientation. And in 2010, Argentina became the first country in the region to approve same-sex marriage, which um, has led to um, 20,000 same-sex Argentinian couples having married since 2013. Brazil and Uruguay followed uh, followed this, um, and later Colombia, Ecuador in 2019, and Costa Rica in 2020. And most will be aware of the uh, recent legalization of um, same-sex marriage in Chile very recently. Um, So in terms of gender recognition, Argentina was the first country to allow transgender individuals to change their name on official ID documents. 
um, without any conditions. And then um, other countries such as Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Mexico and Uruguay followed um, suit. Thank you so much for that, um, Isabel. Yeah, I think it sounds like Argentina is definitely a bit of a trailblazer in the region when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and of course, I think many listeners may have noticed that a lot of the names of the countries that you mentioned are the same. And there are very many countries in the region that weren't in the list that you just mentioned in terms of legal advancements. So what are the challenges in the region um, as a whole still um, for the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, so, so having said all that, um, it's important to emphasize that these are just legal rights and that the LGBTQ plus community does face a lot of difficulties in Latin America, as you've said, um, specifically in terms of discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender. So, for example, some leaders such as um, Bolsonaro in Brazil and um, Bukele in El Salvador have openly stated they do not believe in LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and it should also be mentioned that in most Caribbean countries, sexual relations between two people of the same sex uh, remains illegal. Um, so there's also still widespread opposition to same-sex marriage in many countries. Um, and in 2014, only um, in Argentina and Uruguay, more than half of the population was in favour. And it's worth noting that an important piece of research by the Human Rights Watch actually found that in many countries, such as those in, East, in the Eastern Caribbean, um, le uh, legislation or the lack of um, legislation has left many more vulnerable to to be victims of, of violence and abuse. Yeah, I think around the whole world, but also of course in Latin America, in very many countries, it's still very well sad for lack of a better term, the the lack of rights that people from the LGBT plus community still have. Um, so I'll come to you now, Tom, because um, you are obviously, you know a lot about the topic as you're researching this every day. So could you just tell me how trends and rights have played out throughout history in the region. So how have we got to where we are today? Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, Latin America is a vast region and has had a very tumultuous history um, with many, many countries up until yeah, the end of the 20th century living under dictatorships of various types. Um, so obviously, there are various trends and regional differences. Um, historically speaking, the development of rights for gender and sexual minorities was very closely linked to social movements, mostly those emerging towards the end of dictatorships and in the sort of consolidation period of democracy. Um, but it was definitely not taken for granted that the emergence of democratic regimes meant the development of rights for LGBTQ plus people. Um, and so, as we see, those rights are very much still in development and remain a pretty hotly contested issue. A sort of central paradox within the paradigm of LGBTQ plus welfare in Latin America is that despite, as you said, Isabel, like huge advances in the region, uh, actually the fastest progress of any region in recent decades, Latin America remains one of the deadliest regions for um, gender and sexual minorities on a worldwide scale has the highest rate of, of violence against these individuals. So yeah, in spite of a lot of progress, there's definitely still a long way to go. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so actually, yeah, you did just mention what Isabel said. Um, and I would like to talk to you actually a bit more and go back to the topic of legislation. Isabel gave us kind of an overview 
um, of maybe topics that are often considered to um, represent how well a country or region is doing in terms of LGBTQ plus rights, such as same-sex marriage. Um, but what kind of uh, other more legislations exist to protect these individuals um, and specifically transgender individuals? Um, I think, first of all, it's important to mention that trans rights on a global scale are still very much yeah, in a precarious position. Um, it was only in 2019 that the World Health Organization actually stopped classifying the transgender identity as a mental disorder. Um, so you can see that it's very much a contested issue. Um, yeah, going regionally to begin with, um, within the Caribbean, um, Cuba is actually the only country with any anti-discrimination laws in place to protect gender minorities or people, people of gender variants. Um, throughout Central and South America, various countries have completely banned discrimination based upon gender identity. And in eight countries, uh, it's possible to change one's legal name and gender without the need for any medical intervention or psychological evaluation or any further legal procedures. Um, other countries, um, there are some which allow these changes, but require some kind of proof, such as medical transition, in order to facilitate a legal transition. In terms of anti-discrimination legislation, um, sort of as you sort of touched upon a little bit, um, it's been observed that discrimination against gender variant individuals isn't necessarily curbed by anti-discrimination legislation. And in some countries it's actually exacerbated. Um, that's seemingly due to the social and cultural contexts within which this legislation has been introduced. So that's to say contexts of strong sexism, gender stereotyping and pre-existing high rates of violence. So it's not necessarily helpful to look at legal developments in order to understand the lived experiences of trans people in Latin America, um, especially given a lack of enforcement and implementation that often accompanies this legislation. But it is very useful um, for us as people observing the region to look at this kind of legislation or track trends, um, such as the backlash that's recently been seen uh, in the last couple of years along with the, the pandemic. Um, but I think it's worth bearing in mind that it is of, of limited utility. Mm, yeah, and I think what you say is very important that we remember that just because something is legal doesn't mean there aren't barriers. Maybe actually to give some more context to Isabel's conversation with um, Liam that we'll hear in a few minutes. Um, of course, he will be discussing his experiences as a trans activist in Cuba from a more personal perspective. Um, just to give us some context to that, having said, of course, that um, like the legal framework doesn't necessarily explain how rights play out in practice, um, what are the current laws in Cuba, and for example, what would it look like or what does it entail to legally change your gender in Cuba? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, within Cuba, the trans experience, um, as has been sort of documented thus far, is largely a medical one. Uh, and on the island, this medical experience is orchestrated exclusively by the Cuban National Center for Sex Education, or CENESEX, um, which is actually well known for its progressive advocacy for LGBTQ plus rights. Um, however, their efforts to sort of depathologize the transgender experience and create a more holistic approach to trans healthcare um, has only worked sort of so far. Um, so it remains the case that legally, in order to change one's name and gender, 
trans people in Cuba must undergo so-called gender reassignment surgery, which means entails surgery on the genitals. Whilst this is arguably more accessible in Cuba than many other countries, as since 2008, all trans healthcare has been free on the island, the actual existence of that requirement ensures that many trans individuals who don't desire such surgery are unable to obtain any legal recognition. It's also quite problematic insofar as it further solidifies a very distinct definition of binary gender, which many individuals don't identify with. Um, and by withholding legal recognition, it can have huge impacts upon the lives of trans people, um, limiting their access to things like healthcare, formal education, employment, social security, and many more things. Uh, and in the Cuban case, this incongruence between one's identity documents and their gender expression can lead to public harassment. And as mentioned, there's no, no recourse to legal protection whilst their identity isn't recognized. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us today on the podcast and for giving us a really nice overview that I think puts us in a really great position to um, better understand Isabel's conversation with Liam, which we'll hear now. Um, so thank you so much and hopefully have you on the podcast again soon. Thank you very much for having me and I hope to be back. In the second part of this podcast, we will be speaking about issues facing the transgender community in Cuba. We have decided to focus specifically on the transmasculine community as opposed to the whole transgender community on the island, as it has historically been a community with very little visibility, and in comparison to other trans communities in Cuba, it is relatively small. One of the people who has played an instrumental role in helping to visibilize the transmasculine community is Liam Loran Cardona, who is a visual artist, LGBTQ activist, and the author of the book De Amo con todo mi cuerpo translated as I Love You With My Whole Body. He's also the writer, director, and cinematographer of the award-winning documentary Mi Alma Azul, My Blue Soul, which is the first documentary about transmasculine identities in Cuba. Although he now resides in Europe, when he lived in uh, Cuba, Liam founded the network known as Alma Azul Transgéneros Masculinos de Cuba, the first network that brings together and visibilizes the experience of trans men on the island. The network also seeks to create a support group in order to empower trans men to improve their quality of life and increase visibility of the fight for trans rights. I was lucky enough to meet Liam at a talk about his documentary at the University of Leiden, where we had the opportunity to watch his pioneering and extremely moving documentary and speak a bit about gender identity and the experiences and issues facing the trans community in Cuba and Latin America. Please note, this conversation contains some references to transphobia and discrimination. Hello again, Liam. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast and speak with you. Hello. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. So here we are. Good. Well, let's um, dive straight in. So my first question for you, Liam, is how would you describe your activism and what led you to found the Alma Sultanos Network? Okay, my activism right now is uh, trying to uh, give it to the trans community some spiritual emotional support through my experience it's okay be trans it's uh, it's amazing be trans and you have an amazing experience you are living this is so beautiful experience and uh, yes because for me it's the most important thing is the emotional support 
because you believe it, you can do, if you believe you are big, you are amazing, you can do amazing things. The Blue Soul was, uh, it was an album that I created when uh, I, I distort my process in the, with testosterone, like male trans, something like that. I'm talking about maybe 10 years ago or eight when, when I did start my process. I, in Cuba, we were just uh, five male trans in all the, in all the, in all the country, you know. And, and, and for me, that was very hard because I didn't find enough information about it. And uh, 99% of the information I did find was in the, on the internet. So I realized that I, I, I should do something like I did decide to create Miel Masul, Blue Soul. It, it uh, was uh, a network like try to uh, help and the uh, Cuban society, the very machista and patriarchal society, uh, they, they see uh, another way uh, the trans community, you know, so like through the activists. For that, I start to make uh, some I say pictures and like picture exhibits and uh, documentaries and uh, of course I'm, I'm I'm writing a book right now about it and basically that was me Almasul. And I think you've already mentioned it, Liam. But from your experience, what were and continue to be the challenges of building a transmasculine community in Cuba? Well. Uh... <laughs> Definitely, the number one they in Cuba, not just trans masculine, all LGBT community. They are trying to to be accepted for the society. You know, it's like Cuba is it's a country like it's lost in time. Uh, people they 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 don't know a lot about gender identity. You know, it's like all the time they are discriminated. Uh, everything is like female or male. In, in a cisgender way, you know? This is the, the first point, like the, the most huge fight of the trans, trans community in Cuba, they, they are living a strong fight for uh, guys discrimination, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and a lot of groups and institutions who support trans individuals in Cuba are linked to the state, as you previously mentioned. So um, an example is the Cuban National Center for Sexual Education, known as Senesex, which is currently being directed by Mariela Castro, who is um, yeah. Fidel Castro's niece. So how was your experience of trying to develop an independent LGBT network, Liam? Well, definitely, this is a, this is a hard question because I don't know if the world knows that in Cuba, everything is about it. Communism and the Cuban communism, of course. And everything is about Cuban revolution and everything is about Viva Fidel and everything is about political system. Like if you are against me, I will destroy you. And if you are with me, I will destroy you in some way because, but it's, it, you know, <laughs> but really all the institutions in Cuba that they are associated to the, I'm talking about the hospitals, I'm talking about uh, uh, airports, everything. Everything in Cuba is totalitarian system. So working uh, <laughs> so close 
to a person like Isa Castro is harder because if you, you know, is, for example, Senex uh, is the only um, institution in Cuba that in some way supports LGBT community, right? So if you want to do something for help LGBT community, legal, of course, legal, legal thing, you know, you have to be associated to Senex. It's, it's, a, it's an obligation. You, you, you can do nothing in Cuba by yourself. You just can go to the streets and say, I will do activism with my body, with my words, whatever you want to, to use for make an activist. You can do that. You have to be associated to some Cuban governmental institution. So the only governmental institution that in some way support LGBT community is Senescence. And it's harder because the the leader, the director is Mariela Castro, because if you are there, you have to you have to express the war that you are communist, you know? And what is the problem with these issues? If you if you do have a communist heart, it's complicated. And the other part of in Cuba, the, the society the LGBT society is separate, you know. It's like the, the people are with Mariela Castro and the people that they don't support Mariela Castro. So talking through my experience, something I, I all the time I said, one of, one of my problems with Senexex in Mariela is that I support all LGBT community in Cuba. You know, it's not just the communists and anti-communists. And the difference is the communist LGBT community in some way, because you know, the world see uh, like this because just you are associated with Mariela. Is uh, you okay? Nobody's going to hurt you. And uh, well, I mean, of course, society will continue discriminating you and all that. No? But the other community, the the LGBT, they are they are alone. You know, it's like you are suffering some kind of discrimination. And for me, it's hard, and and it was hard because. I support all LGBT community, not just LGBT mm. community that work with Mariela, you know. Of course. And I think, yeah, it's complicated because in some way, when you are working with Mariela directly, you have a pressure, you know, it's like, be careful what you say, be careful what you do because you work with Mariela. And that's stressing. Yeah. So, so you're saying there's almost two uh, very distinct barriers of discrimination where you're having to deal with, you know, LGBT plus discrimination in general, from Cuban society. And then there's also the, the added exclusion if you don't conform to the state's kind of brand of LGBT advocacy. Yeah, they're excluded. Yes, exactly. So my next question for you, Liam, is a bit more broad to encompass the whole of Latin America. But in your talk last week, you spoke about the necessity of moving away from constructing transmasculine identities as ones which replicate the patriarchal and the machista structures that exist in much of Latin American society. Could you speak a bit more about your opinion on this? Yeah, the point is like, I'm sorry for, for saying, saying this, but this is what I believe. But I think a very high percent of trans community they are very machista. It's like they want to repeat the same pattern of the macho of cisgender, you know. And we have a problem of machismo in Latin America. If you are trans, I suppose you want to be free, right? But how you will be free if you continue repeating the pattern of the people that they don't like you? Normally, 
the patriarchal and machista country, they discriminate trans community, right? And you want to beat them in some way. For male trans in this case, the golden, the golden button, the, the best thing that you can, you can have in your life, in your mentality. And I mean, I'm talking with a lot of experience, like 95% of the male trans in Cuba and another country of Latin America I met, they want to be very masculine. They want to go out to the street and nobody know that you have or you didn't have a vagina, right? You want to hide everything about your past. And that's a problem because you can lose in the process to trying to prove something you are not. And I don't care if the male trans try to repeat the scheme, the scheme of masculinity, physical, I mean. It's okay, that's cool. But the problem is when you're trying to repeat the, the violence uh, scheme of machista and patriarchal guys, you know. Mm-hmm. So that kind of mental, that, mental structure of it. Exactly. And um, some male transgender, for example, me, in my case, I, I decide to not do that. Because for me, that was a fake, you know. I, I, I was doing the same that they, they did to me. And uh, that's no good. Yeah. Okay. And um, to change the, the topic a little bit more to your own personal creativity, for those who haven't had a chance to see your documentary, could you tell us a bit about what it explores and addresses and also about your intentions behind the project? Well, I made this first documentary trying to, to, to show the world and the, and, and the, and the, Cuban, and the Cuban society the first thing that we exist, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that to try to make a documentary that no expose so much negativity, you know? Because it's very common that you see, you watch a documentary and everything you see about uh, trans communities negative. Trans women like prostitutes, HIV, living in the street, you know? They're not able to do nothing, just prostitution and be sick. And then, and I, 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 I was very tired every time the, the people talk about trans community. And, I, and I, I did try to make a documentary that the people see the, some part of the male trans community in Cuba in some positive way, you know? Yeah, that's, 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 that, that was my intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the documentary itself is a testament to that. Um, we'll, we'll leave a link in the episode description for anyone who would like to watch Liam's documentary. Liam, thank you so much for joining us. You've given us a lot to think about. And um, yeah, hope to, to have you on the podcast at another point. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will.